You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. A song for those journeying to worship. From the depths of disaster I appeal to you, O Eternal One. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But with you, forgiveness exists. That's why true respect of you might flow. So So I I wait wait for the the Eternal. eternal. My soul awaits rescue, and And I I put put my my hope in his transforming word. My soul waits for the Lord to break into the world. Even more than night watchmen expect the break of day. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Good morning. There's a a story in scripture in Mark chapter 2. And uh, what we just read, by the way, was from Psalm 130. And we're going to get into that in a bit, verses 1 through 4 in particular, Psalm 130. But to start off, there's, this, uh, there's a story in Mark chapter 2 where a paralyzed man and four of his friends are trying to get to Jesus, and his friends are carrying him on a mat, trying to get through the crowds because apparently they've heard that Jesus is a healer. Maybe he can heal their paralyzed friends. And so the crowd's too large. Um, Jesus is in this building. They can't get to him. And what they do is they climb up onto the roof, They start tearing off the roof. I'm guessing it was made of straw. And they lower him down on his mat right in front of Jesus in the middle of this crowd. I'm guessing Jesus loved the effort, loved the faith. And and the paralyzed man, he's sitting there. I can't imagine what was going through his mind as he was waiting for Jesus to heal him. And what did Jesus do? He said, son, your sins are forgiven you. Every time I read that, that part of the story, I stop and I chuckle a little bit because I can only imagine what was going through this guy's <clears throat> mind as he was thinking, I'm about to be healed. I'm about to walk again. And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. You can just imagine all these balloons popping or deflating, you know, what a, what a disappointment, what a letdown. And look, the story goes on um, and Jesus does eventually heal this man. Uh, he does heal him so that he can walk, but only to show the religious leaders, that he has the authority and the power to forgive sins. Okay, so maybe I'm projecting uh, my own feelings onto this guy because the story doesn't explicitly tell us what he was thinking, but I can't help but feel his own disappointment when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And what does that say about the way that I view sin? About the way that we view sin, if any of you can identify with me? The gospel that we preach, <laughs> and in its most basic form, Gospel 101, is that Jesus Christ died for the forgiveness of sins. That he came in this world, that God sent his son into this world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him by the forgiveness of sins. 
And I look at myself and I look around our church and I look at uh, our country and Western Christianity in, in particular and I see this, this dead faith so often of people that come to church and hear the gospel week to week to week. Some of us even participate in small groups and read the Bible, etc. And, and our lives don't change. We don't act any differently and I wonder why. I wonder if it's because of how we view our sin. Why is it that we're so unmoved by that statement, your sins are forgiven? At the beginning of Psalm 130, the psalmist writes, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Out of the depths, out of the depths I cry to you. O Lord, hear my voice. I'm guessing everybody in this room has been in those depths before, in the depths of despair. Life inevitably drives us there at some point or another. Think for just a second about the last time you were in the depths of despair. What, what put you there? Was it, uh, maybe it was loss, some kind of loss, suffering, grief. Maybe it was just the stress and the pressures of life and a career and a family. Maybe it was fear and anxiety. Maybe it was something else. I don't know. But for the psalmist in Psalm 130, what drove him to the depths of despair was none of those things I just listed. It was the weight of his own sin. When is the last time that you were driven to the depths of despair by the reality and by the weight of your own sin Every one of us has heard the, the hymn, Amazing Grace, that was written by John Newton in the 1700s. And Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now John Newton, I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, decades before he wrote this song, spent years and years of his life driving slave ships back and forth from Africa to Europe. He participated very um, directly in the slave trade, um, and he was converted during that process. And so he was able to say, looking back on his life uh, very easily, that I was a wretch. But when you look in the mirror, when you look in the mirror, how often is it that you see a wretch, a, a despicable, <laughs> a contemptible person like John Newton saw in himself? I think too often, the problem is that we tend to compare ourselves to other people rather than compare ourselves to God. You see, and what happens is when we compare ourselves to other people, um, a lot of us in the room, if we do that, we can look and we say, generally speaking, we can say, I'm a pretty good person. I'm no John Newton. I'm not driving slaves back and forth in this country. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't committed rape. I don't beat my wife and children. You know, I, I, I work hard. Um, I, I do good most of the time. I don't do that much harm anyway. You just go down the list. I, I'm, I'm a good person compared to other people. And then there's, then there's other people who, who still compare themselves to other people. And, and the flip side of that is, is they beat themselves up. They're, they're, they're too hard on themselves. And, and both parties, whether you're on one side or the other, are wrong. Because every human being, every human being compared to God is wretched. We are wretched in our sin. 
in the presence of God, we fall on our face and beg for mercy. It happens all throughout the scriptures. You see the prophets in the Old Testament and the saints in the New Testament. John in particular uh, writes in, in the book of Revelation, I think it's the first chapter, he says, I, I saw the risen Lord, I saw Jesus, and I fell at his feet as though dead. It's a Saint John. I fell at his feet as though dead. There's something that happens when we step into the presence of God and all his glory and magnificence and perfection and holiness, and his light exposes every dark corner of our life. Those little sins, the sins that we think are little and no big deal are no longer so little in the presence of God. They can no longer be overlooked. And we can't help but exclaim, what a wretch I am. You see, what makes sin sinful, no matter how great, no matter how small, what makes sin sin is first and foremost that it separates us from God. Sin is the one thing that separates us from God. And if we never despair of our own sin, let alone acknowledge it, how will we ever graciously receive the forgiveness that he has offered us? How can we ever exclaim, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, if we can't also sing that saved a wretch like me? You get what I'm saying? What I'm not saying is that we need to live in a constant state of despair over our own sin, okay? Please don't hear me say that. We are not to live in this constant state of despair over our own sin. What I am saying is that if we seek God with our life, if we see God for who he truly is, inevitably, we will feel the weight of sin on our shoulders. We will feel the despair of our sin. It's inevitable. And if you haven't felt that lately, then you haven't been in the presence of God lately. St. Paul in Romans 7 talks about his struggle with sin. And I'm going to, um, did you hear that contradiction? St. Paul in Romans 7 talks about his struggle with sin. St. Paul. And he says, uh, the things that I try, I can't do the things that I want to do. And I do the things that I don't want to do. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am, that word, St. Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what he says. And the psalmist, he, he exclaims, that if you were to keep a record of our sins, O Lord, who could stand? The answer is no one. The answer is no one could stand in the presence of God. No one could survive if God kept a record of their sins. But, in verse 4, with you, God, there is forgiveness. But with you, there is forgiveness. God doesn't keep a record of our sins. He doesn't want us to remain in the state of despair over our sins. He frees us from it. And is this the God that you know? Most importantly this morning, is this the God that you know? A God who is forgiving? 
I think way too many of us uh, avoid the Old Testament because when we read it, if we've ever read it, no judgment, when we read it, <laughs> thanks, uh, we don't see a God that's forgiving. We see a God that's wrathful and, and vengeful and judgmental and etc. But if you really read the Old Testament, what you'll find is that the very people who wrote it, who are the ones exclaiming again and again that God is forgiving, he's the only true and forgiving God, those very people who wrote it were often the people upon whom God took out his wrath. And yet they're saying, God, you're forgiving. God didn't change two, two millennia ago. He is the same God that always has been and always will be, and he has always been ready to forgive our sin, period. Is this the God that you know? Now, of course, this was revealed most clearly in Jesus Christ, of course. Jesus Christ, man, the only sinless man that ever walked the face of the earth. I, I hope you believe that. Many people in his day, his own, his own brother, claimed that he was, he was sinless, that he was perfect, and that he was the son of God. So the most righteous man that ever walked the face of the earth was also the least judgmental person that ever walked the face of the earth. You ever think about that? The person who has more right than anyone else that's ever lived to judge is the least judgmental and the most forgiving. So much so that when Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out to God to forgive those who put him there. Does that blow your mind? They beat him up. They spit on him. They mocked him. They nailed him to a tree. And he said, God, forgive them for they know not what they do. And he meant it. If that doesn't melt your heart, I don't know what will. In that situation where every human being is crying out for justice as Jesus hangs on the, on the tree, Jesus cries out for forgiveness. Is that the God that you personally know? Not know intellectually, okay, but know in your heart, experientially. Do you have a relationship with that God? Why does God forgive us? Why, why does he not rain down justice on every single one of us? Finish out verse 4. He says, but with you there is forgiveness. Why? That you may be feared. Isn't that kind of counterintuitive? God, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Not with you there is justice that you may be feared. Not with you there is vengeance and power that you may be feared. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now in the, in the Hebrew language, uh, feared was relatively synonymous with worship. Um, the sense of awe and reverence that our right place before God, we see him for who he is. And Paul puts it this way, though. He says, don't you see, this is in Romans 2, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Don't you see that? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? 
That's what this is getting at. God's kindness, God's forgiveness is offered to us freely so that we can turn from our sin and give our lives back to him. Why? Because his goal, God's ultimate goal, since the beginning of of sin, since the beginning of time, since we were created, has been to be in relationship with us. That is why we were created, is to be in relationship with God primarily, and then others too. And sin separates us from God, and so God says, I forgive you if you receive it and turn from your sin, you can come back to me and you can start living life to the fullest. Come back to me. I love you. God's goal is reconciliation. And that's what I want you to hear as we're in this series of forgiveness, today being the first of of four weeks, that, that the why of forgiveness is reconciliation. First and foremost, reconciliation to God. It is restored relationships. That is why God forgives. Because he wants more than anything in the world for you to love him like he loves you. Not to have an agreement with him. Not to just make some deals with him. Not to just know that he exists and live your life as usual. But to be more intimate with him than you've ever been with any other human being ever. That's why he offers his forgiveness. Now anyone who's received this this forgiveness from God desires for others to have it too. If you don't desire for others to have it too, I question whether or not you receive that forgiveness. Those who've forgiven much, who've been forgiven much, love much. So do you, do you desire for others to have it too? See, the reason that we're doing this series on forgiveness is because forgiveness is a staple of the Christian life. Not only are we forgiven, but we're given the ministry of forgiveness to the world. You guys remember last week in in, in Easter, John 20, 23, where Jesus, he breathed on his disciples. This was after the resurrection. And this is John's version of the great commandment, right? Or the great commission, I mean. Uh, And Jesus, he breathes on his disciples and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And that's really, in John's version, the only instruction that Jesus gives his disciples. It's this ministry of forgiveness. What what authority we have to forgive the sins of people and withhold forgiveness from others too? What what is that all about? And I think it becomes a little more clear um, in, in 2 Corinthians 5. Some of you might know this chapter. Where Paul talks about this ministry of reconciliation, he says, he says this, All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him through Christ. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. 
So you see, God is, is reconciling the world to himself. That's God's ministry. That's his mission. And that's what we've been invited to do as well. That's our purpose. That's why we remain here is, is to help God reconcile the world to himself. First and foremost, through extending the forgiving love of God to everyone. I don't know if you heard about the bombings in Egypt on Palm Sunday just a, a couple of weeks ago. But uh, 20-some people died at this, at this Coptic Christian church. And uh, one lady in, a, in an interview, an Egyptian lady whose husband was a security guard who was probably the first to die in the attack, um, she stood up on a national television in Egypt and she said, I'm not angry at the one who did this. I'm telling this man, may God forgive you and we also forgive you. Believe me, we forgive you. You put my husband in a place I couldn't have dreamed of. But can you imagine? Maybe some of you can, I don't know. If someone took the life of your loved one, being able to say days later, sincerely, I forgive you. Believe me, I forgive you. And what a testimony that would be to the world. You talk about the world seeing God in a different light. You talk about the world seeing Christianity in a different light. That's how it works. Now, if you're like me, uh, you're probably thinking, I, look, I don't have anything like that to forgive. Honestly, that's what was going through my mind when we decided to do this series. It's like, I don't even know if I can have much to say about this topic because I don't really hold grudges against people that often. I've never really been hurt that badly. You know, I, I, there's nothing in particular that I need to let go of anger or resentment towards. But you see, it's, it's more than that. Forgiveness is more than just those big things that you got to get, get over. Forgiving isn't something that you do every once in a while. It's something that you are all the time. Do you hear that? Forgiving isn't something you do every once in a while. It's something that you should be all the time. In the little things, guys. The little things. All throughout your day. Do you tend to get offended or hurt easily? By people, do you hold on to those things for even just minutes? Hours, days, I don't know. Do you talk badly about people behind their backs? Do you hold on to anger or resentment? Have you ever been mired up in the past, just like you can't let something go, thinking about what someone said or what something did? These are all signs of the fact that we, believe it or not, are not that forgiving. And I see it all the time in church circles. And in small groups and in these relationships that are supposed to be loving and, and the way that people treat each other and, and the pastors treat each other sometimes. And just we, we get caught up in our, our heads and we just blame each other for things and we, it's not forgiving. And within the church, first and foremost, it should be this, this understanding that, man, we don't let those things get to us. Because that anger and resentment that we hold, even just for minutes, is not worth it. It keeps us from God. That's the deal. An example of this is, uh, I didn't ask my wife permission to say this, but it's not a big, so, so she has, uh, <laughs> her face, uh, okay, so she's got cups around the house, uh, in the house. So this is the, the thing, is that the one thing that comes to my mind when I think it's just the dumbest thing in the world that I get upset about is cups. 
she has these uh, just cups, that's it, drinks of water, and she'll set one in the bathroom, and then one uh, in, the, in the kitchen, and then one on the countertop, et cetera, you know, and, and uh, I see these cups, and there'll be four or five out at a time, and I just, ah, I, go, I go crazy inside and for just a minute, and, but when I do, it keeps me from God. It really does, and it keeps me from loving Kayla, and she doesn't need my forgiveness for these cups. It's not a sin, all right? But in my mind for that time, this is like this egregious sin that I have all this right to, to hold on to and blame her for. And it's amazing how long cups can keep me from loving God and loving my wife. And that's a very simple uh, example. And I'm sure every single one of you can think of something like that in your life. But for the rest of the series, I want you to keep that type of forgiveness in mind. It's not just these big hurdles to get over. It's the little things in life. It's becoming the type of person that God is, who's ready to forgive at all times. Now, this isn't possible by trying harder. It's not. You can't just try. It won't happen. It is only possible by humbly, reverently, placing yourself in the presence of God, the God who's ready to forgive, who's gracious and merciful, who's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the God that we need to spend some time with. This God, my God, your God, your creator, is calling out to you saying, come back to me. Amen.